Welcome to another podcast with City Edge Church. For more information, please visit our website at cityedgechurch.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. So this month, we are talking about uh, sticks and bricks. We're talking about family. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about relationships. And we're asking ourselves the question, hey, what are we building these things with? Are we building them with sticks or are we building them with bricks? And uh, we do a series on relationships pretty much every year. It's kind of, it's not something new that we do at City Edge. It's something we do every single year. Why is that? Because relationships are are so important. Uh, Relationships uh, have a massive impact on our life every single day. I want you to, for a moment, just think about right now, what are the things that are making you happy or uh, bringing joy to your life right now? And what are the things bringing grief and a bit of stress, and a bit of tension to your life right now. And I want you to think about how much of that is actually connected to the relationships you're in. I would just make a, I would put it out there. Um, I would assume that it's a lot. Uh, I would assume there's a large, not everything. It's Sometimes it's situational, it's circumstantial, it's outside of our control. But I think for many of us, often the points of great joy and also significant grief and turmoil in our life is based on relationships. And the statistics actually show this. Research has shown that there's a strong correlation between poor relationships and clinical depression. Uh, Research has shown that isolation and loneliness um, has been even able to weaken the immune system. So quality relationships actually matter. There is overwhelming evidence that has shown that healthy relationships actually decrease your risk of death by 50%, which is comparable to the risk factors of excessive alcohol consumption and smoking. So it's like the, the opposite. It's the 50% positive, and uh, these other things are 50% negative. And, uh, and the research, there is there's significant research on that. You can check it out. There's hundreds of studies uh, that, that, that confirm that. So quality relationships actually matter. Family breakdown has a significant impact on people's Lives, the research has shown, not in all cases. Remember, we're not talking about specific people and saying that this is definitely you or the person you know, but on a large part, in a a full sample, uh, a full population, uh, it has shown that it can lead to children experiencing behavioral problems, uh, leaving school young, becoming sexually active at an early age, reporting more depressive symptoms or higher levels of smoking, alcohol, substance use, uh, substance abuse. Uh, uh, family breakdown and the relationship of family can have a profound impact on our lives. Again, that's not saying that if you're here and you've had family breakdown that you are in this box now, that is you. That's not what we're saying. And God always tries to, always God does break us out of those boxes. But statistics show that quality relationships are important for our lives. And it's not just at home, it's in the workplace as well. In a survey, uh, or uh, I guess after 25 million people have actually taken a particular survey uh, by an organization called Gallup, which is a, a management research and consultancy company in the US, they found that the number one reason why people became unhappy in their workplace and quit their job was not the pay, it was not the hours they had to work, it was not the tasks they had to do, but the number one reason, the most predominant reason was because of the relationship they had with their upline manager. Like the most, 
influential factor in people quitting their jobs is not pay, it's not physical, it is a relationship. Relationships and quality relationships are so important. God wants us, wherever possible, to have healthy and strong relationships, whether that's a marriage, whether that's a family, whether that's with our colleagues or with our friends. And here at City Edge, we just want to empower everyone to live the greatest life that they possibly can. We want to empower every generation. And that doesn't matter what your starting point is and what your family looks like. It's just about every person going, you know what? Because no family's perfect. Uh, no marriage is perfect. Uh, you know, my wife clearly gets annoyed with me a lot more. I'm just going to put the photo album in a place she can see all the time. And then, I, you know, I can probably get away with a little bit more annoying stuff, right? No marriage is perfect. No family's perfect. We all make mistakes. It's not about criticizing tonight. It's simply about saying, hey, come on. If we're going to choose to build relationships, why would we waste time with principles that are unhelpful? Why don't we build with things that are actually going to help? Uh, I was thinking about this topic and, uh, and, and the name we've given it. And I don't know about you, and it's not based on this, but it reminds me of the story of the three little pigs. Did it remind you of that? You're like sticks and bricks, you know, it's kind of like two out of the three. And maybe you know the story. I'm sure many of us, if not all of us, have heard that nursery rhyme or that, uh, that fairy tale before. And it's, it goes like this, right? I'm going to tell a little bit of it, uh, just in case you forgot. It's been a long time since I'd, I'd remembered it, actually. And I was like, oh, that's how it actually goes, yeah. And so it begins with an old, so old mum of a pig, and she sends out her three little piglets. She can't afford to support them anymore, so she sends them out, as you do, into the world and says, go and make your fortune, go and uh, make a living. And so the first little pig goes and he finds someone with a bale of straw and he says, please give me the straw. And, he, and the guy gives him the straw, very generous wherever this is. And, uh, and the pig takes it and of all the things to build, he builds a house with it. And uh, he builds it quickly so he can go off and play. And then the wolf comes along, the big bad wolf, and he says, let me in. And what does the pig say? No, I'll never let you in, not by the hairs on my chinny chin chin, right? He's got a beard, epic. Um, but what does the, the wolf do? He huffs and he puffs and he blows the house down, right? Now, this is where it gets tricky because depending on when you were born or when you were raised and the kind of stories you were read, this is where the story kind of diverts in different directions, okay? Uh, if you were born in the 90s like I was, the story would go, he blows the house down, so the pig pops smoke, runs down the road and finds where his brother is and goes and hides in his house and they both survive. Uh, if you were born in the 2000s, uh, the story probably goes, you know, he hoofed and he poofed and he uh, signed an eviction notice, you know, because you grew up on Shrek, right? You grew up on Shrek. And so that was like how the story goes for you. And you think the wolf is Lord Farquaad and all of that kind of stuff, right? If you were born past 2010, uh, past 2010, it, the story probably goes like this. So the wolf got disappointed and really hurt. So he stood outside the, 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 uh, the pig's house and took a selfie and made sure he commented and uh, put a really, really mean kind of comment or caption on that. And he didn't reveal who the person was that it was about, but he just made sure there was enough in the photo that so everyone could know whose house he was standing in front of, right? And then he went along and he unfollowed that little pig with the straw house. That's how the story goes, 21st century. Now, this was written back in the eight, late 1800s or mid-1800s, somewhere there. It's a, it's a bit debatable uh, on exactly when it's written. But in the original story, this is what happens. He blows the house down and I read from here how, what it says next. And then he ate the pig. 
Just straight up. He blew the house down, ate the pig. Didn't even light that. If that was me, light that thing on fire. That's like Master Chef right there. You got slow roast pork coming out. Like just, you know, with like the, the nice straw, wood sm- uh, straw smoke to just be amazing. Oh, beautiful. The story goes, I'm sure we know, the wolf repeats the process, goes to the pig with the sticks and, uh, and you know, blows the house down and eats the pig. Um, then he gets to the third one. And the third one, though, he didn't build his house in a hurry. He built with bricks. He took his time. He didn't run off to play. He worked hard and he built a brick home. And the wolf is unable to blow it down. Uh, and so the, the original actually goes on. There's a bit of back and forth and tricking each other. And the pig seems to outsmart the wolf every time until the wolf decides, that's it. I'm climbing down the chimney and I'm going to get this pig. Now, in the Disney version, the PG version, the, the wolf burns its tail uh, on the fire or the fireplace or the cauldron that's there. But in the original, in the original, check this out. And just as the wolf was coming down, this is quote, he took off the cover of the cauldron that was boiling with water and in fell the wolf. So the little pig put on the cover again in an instant, boiled him up and ate him for supper. But because we don't want to end it like that, the story ends like this. And he lived happily ever after. <laughs> Commits murder and then lives happily ever after. I don't know about you, but as a kid, I'd be scarred by that. I'm like, that wolf, that's not fair. It's a crazy story, right? It's one that we learn as kids, but it's a really powerful moral to it. The moral to that story is that those who put in the work that build with things that are solid, when opposition comes or situations come that oppose you or the storms of life blow against you, guess what? What you've built will stand. Those who apply principles and behaviors that are solid will not crumble when difficult times come. They will stand firm and the life they have will not collapse in upon itself. And in the same way, when we talk about sticks and bricks, we're not referring to the story of the three little pigs, but we are saying that, hey, if we're gonna build relationships, which we are all doing right now, even in this church service, we're building and connecting relationships. Let's be people that build relationships with principles and uh, ideas that are solid that will make sure that relationship maintains the the weathers of life, the storms of life, the pressures that come, and that we continue to maintain, where possible, healthy relationships as often as we possibly can in our homes, in our families, in our marriages, in our colleagues, and uh, with our friends. Because I believe tonight that you and I have the power through the Holy Spirit to build great relationships. Hey, maybe you grew up in a family where you experienced divorce. Maybe that was just what happened. And I'm heartbroken genuinely that people have had that experience. But I wanna say this, that does not have to define your future and the kind of relationships you have. There is hope for you to go, you know what? Maybe mistakes were made in the past, but there is still a great future for you and you can uh, set a new course for your life or your future family. Maybe you uh, grew up as part of a family where things were a little bit messed up. 
And now even in adulthood, one side of the family doesn't talk to that side of the family. This brother doesn't talk to that sister. This child has got an issue with that mother or that father and vice versa. And right now it's a little bit messy and it's a little bit painful and it's dysfunctional. But I wanna say there's hope that that doesn't have to be your future that God has got the power to bring healing to relationships that already exist, but also for your kids or your grandkids or your future, it doesn't have to look the same way. You can build with some things that completely change the course of not only your life, but of the lives of the people that are coming after you, the generations that are coming after you. It is so important for us as Christians to take responsibility to go, you know what? Maybe there was something generational in my family line, but I'm gonna refuse to allow that to be passed on through me to the next generation. I think there's something powerful in that. I'm thankful to my mom and my dad that my, especially, well, actually both of them, but in this instance, that my mom made a decision that generational behaviors of, uh, of, of drinking didn't get passed down the line to me. Of alcoholism, I'm talking about, not just drinking alcohol, but like full alcoholism. She made a decision and she did whatever it took to not allow that to pass through to myself and to my brothers. And now we're not, we're not held captive to that which my grandfather and great-grandfathers and family actually were captive to. Why? Because someone drew a line in the sand and go, you know what? That's not gonna pass through me. I'm gonna build this thing as solid as I can. Now, here's the thing. If we've made mistakes in these areas, you know what? There's hope too, because no one's perfect. Like there's no family that's perfect. It's just about us going, you know what? Today, maybe some things haven't worked out the way we thought it would, and we did our absolute best. And yes, there are so many situations where it's just, it's outside your control. You do your best, but because you're only responsible for your reaction and your response. You can't force someone to behave in a certain way. But it's about us then going, you know what? If that's my responsibility, I'm gonna do it right. I'm gonna do it right. And I just wanna share two thoughts just on how we can build with bricks our relationships. And they're very general. I'm not gonna hone in specifically on marriage or uh, family. I, I believe that family at the moment is definitely an area I'm unqualified to talk about. But I think just in general is, a, is relationships and how we can, um, in a broad sense, sort of set ourselves up for this month. And so I've only got two thoughts tonight and uh, we're gonna go through that. And the first thing is this, we wanna build solid relationships. We gotta we got carry a spirit of service. We've gotta carry a spirit of service. Okay, I stole this from Pastor Paul this morning. I wasn't gonna use the scripture, but it was so good uh, that I was like, I'm snaking that, right? And so uh, it's gonna come up here. It's all right, he didn't write it. So it's all good. It's not like after, uh, <laughs> it's not like a uni assignment where you gotta, you know, quote them anyway. Um, <laughs> but it was a great, great use of the scripture this morning. It really inspired me for tonight. And it said, uh, Romans 12, nine says this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. There's a word for someone there that's amazing right there. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Whether God's people are in need, uh, sorry, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who are weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that. Um, do all that, and you can uh, do all that you can live to in peace 
uh, with everyone. Man, that'll preach all day. There's about 50,000 messages in that. Uh, I don't know about you, but a, a sense of conviction comes on my heart to go, cool. If that's the kind of relationships God is wanting me to pursue, then maybe I've got to make some changes uh, in, in the way I'm doing that. But if we were to summarize the essence of what the Apostle Paul is saying in this scripture, I really do believe he's saying we've got to carry a spirit of service towards one another, an attitude of service. Or in other words, in our relationships, we understand we're in a relationship with whatever it might be, whether it's your marriage, friendship, family. I'm in this not to extract from you, but to be able to serve you, to be able to give something to you. It's a complete change of mindset. I'm in this marriage, and in this marriage, I'm going to serve you. I'm here in this business working, and I'm not just here to take the money that you're gonna give me for my wage, but I'm actually here to serve you and serve the vision and serve your desires as my boss for this business. I'm not just gonna work alongside my colleagues. I'm actually going to serve my colleagues and seek their best interest, not just my own. In this family, I'm going to serve my brothers. I'm going to serve my sister. I'm going to serve my children as a mother or father. I'm going to serve my mom or my dad as a son and a daughter. It's an attitude of service. Hey, it may be here tonight, you're in a, in a family where you are the only Christian. Maybe your parents aren't Christians or your children aren't Christians. One of the most effective ways to reach them and to preach the gospel to them is not to smash them with the Bible and say, you need to do this or that or whatever, but it's just to serve them in love in such a way that it is just undeniable that it's God living inside of you doing that. Service is a powerful key. As Pastor Andy Goulet says, he says, if you wanna win a generation, you've gotta serve a generation. I wonder how much dysfunction we experience in relationships, or I wonder how much of the dysfunction we experience in relationships stems from our desire to put ourselves first rather than others. You know, when I get into a disagreement with my wife, which is never, of course, I'm just kidding, of course, Every, every, every relationship has disagreements. But the moments where I'm being a real bonehead is because I'm trying to put my own desires before hers. I've exited out of Christ-like love into selfish desire, and I've jettisoned my responsibility to serve my wife. Serving has a powerful way of dis diffusing conflict. If there's conflict at work, start to serve and watch what happens. If there's anger or unforgiveness around you in the relationships, you can't change how they feel, but you can change what you do and serve them. Look for ways just to bless them. Look for ways to lift them up and help them be all that they're called to be. If there's a, a lack in the marriage, start serving. If you're at work and, uh, and, and you know, you're doing work and there's a colleague there, and you're in a committed relationship, you're married, you're in a committed dating relationship, but there's an attraction there that's unhealthy. And there's almost like a lust that's developing there because, you know, people, you can be attracted to someone and all of that kind of stuff. You want to break the power of that from developing anymore and you want to make that healthy again, start to serve them and go, no, no, how could I think like that? I'm here to serve them and bring them to Christ. Have an attitude of serving has the power to dissipate even the, the, the pulls of lust or unhealthy attraction to other people. It's serving that demonstrates real love. And it's that real love communicated through service that has the power to heal broken relationships. 
has the power to form great foundations of relationships. And it has, it's that love that brings the greatest enjoyment out of those relationships. It's that love that preaches a message so strong. Yeah, I'm reminded of a story um, from the third century uh, AD where uh, it was the Christians, uh, or it was because of their service that the Christians really became known or influential in society. There was a number of plagues that struck in that century. One was the, the Cyprian plague and, uh, and people were dying. People were dying everywhere and they had no cure. Rome was, had a, they, they estimate about 5,000 people every day dying in Rome because of this plague. Every day dying. All of the pagans and all of the Romans, and they all fled the cities. And they left anyone that was sick. They left anyone that was poor. They left anyone that was weak to fend for themselves or die. What's amazing is the Christians carried a spirit of service and they stayed, even at the risk of their own life. And they cared for the sick. Many, they nursed back to health. But many, they were the last face that they saw before they departed this life. I wonder how many, actually, you can look at the stats in this and do some research, but Christianity and its influence blew up after some of these moments. Because it was in this that the love of Jesus was preached more powerfully than just any words could say. It was the, it was the serving. And here's a quote from um, Dionysus. He wrote this. He said, Heedless of danger, the Christians took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. Or in other words, they died with the sick. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. What a spirit of service. You know what? What matters most is not that I preserve my life, but that I serve yours. I just wonder, to whatever degree God is leading us here today, I wonder what could happen with our relationships if we started to just go, you know what? I'm going to adopt a spirit of service, just in one area. Try it out. See what happens. See how it begins to bring a sweetness to the relationships you're in. Hey, that's my first thought tonight. Here's my second one real quick, is that if we want to build well, I believe that we've got to see others in light of the cross. We've got to see others in light of the cross. There's a... um story in Matthew 18 verse 21 and it'll come up on the screen but where Peter approaches Jesus and he asks him this question he says Lord how often should I forgive someone who sins against me seven times now like I just imagine that like Peter has just been in a disagreement with one of the other disciples and he's like that's it I'm telling Jesus right and he goes over and he's like Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Because he wants to kind of like blow him up. Like he wants to get him in trouble with Jesus. But Jesus says to him, seven times, it goes on. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Or in other words, just keep forgiving them. He's, uh, I guess, using hyperbole, going just keep on doing it. Just forgive and forgive and forgive. And he goes on to tell this parable, okay, made up story, but with the truth attached to it. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven. Now, whenever you're reading your Bible and you hear those words, the kingdom of heaven, as Christians, our ears have almost got to like prick a little bit. We've got to uh, uh, just wake up a little bit and go, okay, this is really important because whenever Jesus says it's like this in the kingdom of heaven, he's saying as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you don't live according to the world. I'm gonna show you the world that you're meant to live in, the, uh, almost the, the laws that govern the world you're living in uh, as a believer. So we've got to listen to that and go, okay, cool. It's gonna sound different to 
to how the world works, but that's what we're called to live in. And this is what he says. He goes on to tell a parable about a king who is bringing up his accounts and settling debts with all of his servants. And one servant comes to him who owes him literally millions of dollars. Just, I don't know what he did, but he spent all the money, maybe invested it poorly, but he has uh, taken out this loan and owes the king millions of dollars and he has no way to pay him back. And so the king says, fine, you, your family, your kids, you're all going into slavery to work back that debt. You're in forced labor to pay that back. But the man gets on his knees before the king and says, please, please don't do that. Please give me more time. Please, I promise I will get it back. I I promise that I'll I'll, I'll be able to fix this. and, uh, And please don't do this to me or my family. And the king relents. The king not only says, or the king doesn't just say to him, oh, okay, you can work it back. The king actually forgives him completely of the debt. He's so moved with mercy and compassion that he says, you know what? Don't even worry about paying it back. It's all good. Go and be free. That man then walks down the street and finds a, another servant who owes him 50 bucks. And he, he sees him in the street and he gives him the eye and he runs after him and he grabs him by the throat and says, you owe me $50, pay me my money now. And the servant who owes $50, like, please, please, I I can't afford to pay you, give me more time, just give me another chance, give me another chance. But the servant who's been forgiven says, no, I'm not gonna forgive you, I'm gonna put you in jail. And he puts that other servant in jail, even though he's been forgiven the millions of dollars, over 50 bucks. When the other servants find out about it, they go back to the king and they report it. And this is what Jesus says, how the parable ends really quick as I bring this message to a close. It says, then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. It's a heavy word. It would be amiss of me to not be honest about that. It's a heavy word that Jesus is sharing there. And it could be very easy for us to look at a surface level and go, hey, he's just talking about unforgiveness. And he is talking about unforgiveness. And as Christians, we've got to forgive people. That's, that's the moral of, of, and the message of this parable. But I think there's something far deeper that Jesus is trying to tap into here. Because he's using language about the kingdom. Remember that. He's saying, this is how it's going to work in my kingdom. See, I think for most people, and this is just a natural thing that we do, is that we operate in relationships like they're a series of accounts, of like relational accounts, like a bank account, but of relationship. We keep track of the balance of those accounts with the people around us. So every time someone does something good to us, it adds to that relational account. But every time someone does bad, it withdraws. So when they did that thing, that was a two. It added two to the account. But, oh, man, when they did that thing, that was like negative three. And then they said that thing, and, well, that's like negative 10, man. That's negative 10. And our, the balance of relationship goes up and down, up and down. And the issue is that we choose to treat people based upon, and this is in a purely natural sense, based upon the balance of that account they have with us. We treat them based upon the account they have with us. If it's negative, we push them away. 
or treat them mean. And eventually, if it runs up a big enough debt, we cut them off. But if it's positive and it serves us well, that relationship, then we continue to invest in that person and pursue that relationship in whatever form it is. And if you don't believe me that it works like that, then answer me this question. Is it easier to treat someone well if they're being good to you or if they're being consistently mean to you? What's easier? Why is it easier? Because there's an account there. It's like, you've done that to me and now I'm gonna respond out of that balance. And it's an unsustainable way for us to live our lives because it leads to dysfunction. Think about this. If your response to others and the way you do relationship with others is based on the relational account you have on how they treat you, then if they make a negative, what's your reaction going to be? If they make a withdrawal, what's it gonna be? It's gonna be, I'm gonna respond in the same spirit, which is a negative, which then leads them to respond in the same spirit, which is a negative, and it goes into a perpetual cycle until you're both bankrupt and the relationship comes to an end. That's the natural tendency of relationships, is it not? If we treat others according to the way that they treat us. But Jesus says, no, that is not how it's meant to be. We as Christians can't afford to go into the negatives and start creating distance with people. We can't afford to create distance in our marriage. We can't afford to create distance between the people in our family. We can't afford to create distance with our colleagues and eventually cut them off. We wanna win people to Christ. We want strong, healthy relationships so we can do life together. We wanna move forward in this. We can't afford to do that. We've gotta change our perspective. Because when we are a Christian and we're operating according to the kingdom, in that relational transaction, in that balance, it's not just that person and you, and it bounces accordingly. What this parable is saying, it's that person, you, and what Jesus has done for you. It's what that person does, it's you and what Jesus has done for you. It's the fact that he has died on the cross for us, given his life despite all of the mess and mistakes that I've made, all of the things that I've done wrong, all of the debt I had withdrawn from him, yet he canceled it. Not only did he cancel my relational debt, he topped it up with an eternal, with an infinite amount of balance that I could never pay him back with. I don't ever have to pay him back. I don't have to earn his favor. No, he has absolutely just downloaded everything and given everything for me. So when I come into that relationship now, it's no longer, well, that person took 10 and therefore I'm gonna respond. No, no, I've been filled to overflowing with relationship from God. If that person takes, then I've got margin now to actually give more. I've got the ability now to give. Why? Because it's not just me and that, no, it's me, that person. Oh, but I remember what Jesus did for me too. And if he did that for me, then even though this relationship kind of sucks at the moment, I can still operate out of a better spirit. I can still operate out of a better decision. I can still operate out of loving someone, not according to how they treat you, but according to how you want to be treated. He took our debt in full and calls us into relationship. And we are called now not to pay that back, but to live in light of the cross, in light of what He has done. See, when I... uh, uh, When you begin to have this attitude, it allows you to show grace. And no relationship can succeed without grace. 
when you begin to adopt this understanding and see people in light of the cross, not just what they've done to you or will do for you, it allows you to show mercy. It allows you to be completely merciful because you remember what the mercy of the cross has demonstrated to you. It allows you to be patient because you remember how much God has you know, forgiven you and keeps giving you second chances and third chances and fourth chances. It allows you to be long-suffering even if they're mistreating you because you remember how long God waited while you were in rebellion to Him and walking your own way, how long God waited for you to come home. And now, man, there's an overflow. There's a surplus in that account to, be, to show long-suffering and patience to somebody else. It allows you to be kind in the face of someone being mean. It allows you to give of yourself even when the other person doesn't deserve it because God gave Himself when I didn't deserve it. And it's that kind of God-inspired selflessness that can break that pattern of negative relationship. Hey, tonight, can we be the people that are gonna carry a a spirit, an attitude of service to one another, to the people around us? And can we be the people that choose to start seeing others in light of the cross? When you're at school and there's a bully there, see them in light of the cross. Someone who's not cool, who's rejected by everyone, see them in light of the cross because the same uh, price Jesus paid for you, He paid for them. That colleague that everyone rejects, because it happens in workplaces, that colleague that everyone secretly doesn't like and and everyone thinks they don't know it, Come on, it's the Christians who look at that person through the lenses of the cross and say, you know what, everyone might reject them. They might be super, super annoying and oftentimes they really can be, but it's the Christians that get in there and serve them and see them in the light of the cross and go, I'm gonna, I've got so much to give to you.